today, God, and that uh, not only we would hear your voice, Lord, but we would re respond to what you tell us today, Lord. Uh, help us to be sensitive to you, Lord. We love you so much, God, in your name. Amen. Uh, so 1 Samuel chapter 13, leading up to this point, the people have sinned, asking for a king. They want a king like all the other nations. And the Lord meets them, meets them there, grants them their request, gives them a king, um, and, and much the way he does with us, right? We, we may sin, we may fall, falter, fail, and, and the Lord is right there to pick us up if we ask for forgiveness, stand us up, and to keep us going. And, and that, he gives them a promise in chapter 12. He says, if you fear the Lord, chapter, verse 14, if you feel, fear the Lord and serve him, and obey his voice, and don't rebel against his, the commandment of the Lord, both you and the king who reigns, reigns over you, you will continue to follow the Lord your God. You'll keep going. You can keep going, right? And the Lord meets them there in their sin and says, hey, you can keep going if you follow, if you follow me, right? And so God appoints this guy in a miraculous, supernatural way, and then he gives him everything he needs, fills him with his spirit, uh, equips him with everything he needs to be the king, even though they sinned. Uh, same way he does with us, right? Moms, dads, he's equipped you with everything you need to be. Husbands, wives, whoever you are, whatever your position is, God has given you everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, Peter said. God's given you that. And so he establishes his, his, his kingship, gives it to him, and he has early success in the ministry. The Ammonites come against Jabesh-Gilead, and Saul rallies the troop and, and wins this decisive victory, and every, rallies the whole nation around him. And the whole nation is, is encouraged and built up and, and united under their leadership. But we're going to see something in this chapter that none of us are immune to. It's, it's God's trying our faith. It's God's purifying and testing our faith. And we're going to see that here in, in, in King Saul's life. Uh, his faith is tested, right, and tried. If you turn with me real quick to 1 Peter chapter 1, I'll read a couple of scriptures to, uh, to you here in 1 Peter, and then we're going to turn to James for a second. On your way there, I'll just read you a scripture. Proverbs 25, verse 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Right? And that refining process to take the dross away is a heating process. They begin to heat the, this metal, this, this gold or silver, or whatever precious metal it is, they heat it up, and then the dross comes to the surface, and they scrape it off. It's pure. The value goes up. And that's what God is saying he does in our life through trials and testing. Right? We go through this testing process, this trial process that none of us are immune to, that we're going to go through. It's not an elective class that we, can, we sign up for like, I'm ready for that. No, we go through it. We go through this process, and God refines our life. And sometimes, you know, we, we learn things about ourselves that maybe we didn't know before. Kind of like Peter didn't, didn't realize he would 
deny the Lord. He didn't understand that. He didn't see that in himself. But as things heated up around him, Jesus is, is, is taken. He's arrested. And all of a sudden, Peter does something he didn't, didn't think he would do. Right? He was ready to, to die, go to prison and die. And sometimes as things heat up in our life, and we go through circumstances or situations, all of a sudden, man, something comes out in us that we didn't realize was there. We didn't see that in ourselves, right? And if you've ever been on, uh, on vacation or traveled somewhere or on a mission trip, uh, and, and you go to a place where you, you, you can't drink the water, and probably a lot of people have been somewhere where, where you, you know, the, the warning's there, don't drink the water. Why? Because it's brown, it comes out of the faucet brown, or no, usually it's clear, it looks okay, right? But there's something hidden inside, a parasite, that can be, uh, make you sick, and it can be deadly, right? And that's the way it is with things in our life that we don't see. There's things in there that can be deadly, dangerous to yourself, and to other people. So God begins this purifying process, changing process, making you, taking you from point A to point B, making you who you need to be and what he wants you to become, to be everything that he's called your life to be. So he's changing us. And, and right now, Saul's in that process. We're going to see in this chapter, uh, there's going to be uh, a, a war. A battle begins to take place. And, and some of Saul's character begins to come out the same way it does in us. Saul's not much different than us. We, don't, we shouldn't point our finger at Saul and say, what a doofus. Why, did, why would he act like that? Why would he do that? Doesn't he see that that's prideful or that's not obeying the, the Bible, right? Because we, we like to point those out in other people. But really, we got to examine ourselves um, and say, is that us? But Peter says this, in verse 5 of chapter, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it says, you're kept by the power of God through faith for, self, for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says this, in this, verse 6, you greatly rejoice in that salvation. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. He says this in verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That the word temptation and trial, they're kind of used interchangeably, right? What the devil uses to, to tempt you with, God uses, he says, that can be a, a trial, a purifying effect in your life. I'm going to use that. So the devil's trying to tempt you to do something or get you to do something that's wrong or off. And, and right there, the Lord's like, I'm going to use that in your life. And he turns the heat up and he allows those things. You know, the Bible says he's not going to allow us to be tempted above that which we're able, but will, will with the temptation, give, make a way of escape for us. That we don't have to give in to the trial or the temptation. But we can see what's going on. He wants to see, you know, if our faith, he wants us to see if it's genuine, if it's trustworthy. Turn to James chapter 1 with me for a second. You guys probably know where I'm going with this too. 
James is a little more radical here. James chapter 1, verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy. The, the, the NIV says, count it pure joy. When? When you fall into various trials, right? Anybody do that? Oh, you're going through a trial, a difficulty, things heat up in your life. You're like, how am I going to make it? This is crazy. And James says, man, count it pure joy. Count it all joy when that happens. He says this, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. God is maturing your life. It produces patience. We live in in, an instant gratification society. We want it all. We want it now. It has to happen. And, And the trying of your faith, it produces patience. Why? What are we waiting for? Like our income tax to come in? Are we waiting for the Lord? Are we waiting for eternity? There's, we need more patience to endure this life because it's not all, all about what we can amass and get for our kingdom. It's about God's kingdom and about what we can do for his kingdom and who we're supposed to be for his kingdom. And we go through these things to remind us to keep a light touch in this world. Difficulties happen You're not going to create your best life now. That's not theology. We're not living for this life or this kingdom. We're living for another one. So he says, listen, count it all joy, pure joy. Because it works patience. Something that probably every single one of us can relate to here. How many people become very impatient? And that with people, with ourselves, with, with in situations. And we want to be hasty. And we're going to see that this in, uh, in Saul's life. He becomes hasty. Proverbs says, he who hastens with his feet sins. If you step out and react, and sometimes we want to. We, just, we, we can't wait any longer and we want to react. We got to move. We got to do something. Even though we know it's wrong. And we do it. You can turn back with me to Samuel. And Saul's going to learn that lesson. He's going to see something about himself that he probably didn't see before or know. That he needs to follow the instruction that God has given him. That this is God's battle. And he needs to wait. But there's pressure in Saul's life. We're, there's, there's pressure. He has to, he's the king now. He has to make a decision. This is a real battle. There's real people that are going to die, and he has to do something. right? Kind of like the pressure that's on, on Joshua. He takes over for Moses. There's pressure in his life. Like, what do I do now? Here we are. We're at Jericho. Lord, march around the city, march around the city, march around the city. Then blow the trumpet, right? That, should I do that? Why don't we just attack? Why don't I just make a different plan? Why don't I? It doesn't seem like it's going to work, but God says, listen, just follow me. Trust me. That's what he's calling us to do. 
We're going to see Saul fails, and it's okay to make a mistake. Like, we're not called to walk in sin, but sometimes these trials, they expose this part of us that's supposed to change. We're not called to walk in it like, oh, forgive me, Lord, I'm going to do it again tomorrow and the next day. No, we're called to change. And, and, and Saul is going to have the opportunity, really, to change here. He's going to have the opportunity. I think the rest of 1 Samuel would look a lot differently if, if, if Saul would have answered Samuel's question a little differently. When he asks him, we're going to see, he asks him, what are you doing? Why did you do that? What's going on? And he has the opportunity either to repent or have excuses, and that's us. The Lord's faithful to ask us questions. So he says this in verse 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. Remember, he raised, when he, when he fought the Ammonites, he raised 330,000 men, this standing army. And then he sends them all home. They're in the reserves now, and he keeps the, this elite, group of men with him, 2,000 with him, and now, now we're introduced to this man, Jonathan, that's his son, a faithful man. But, but, but I wonder why, I wonder why he sends these guys home. The Philistines are in the land. There's, there's Philistines invading their territory. They're coming in and taking some of what was Israel's. They'd harvest a crop, and the Philistines would come in and say, okay, half is ours. 25% is ours. And they'd have to give it to them. If not, there'd be a battle. And Saul here is satisfied with sending all the men home, most of them, and letting the Philistines stay in the land, right? Making concessions and a compromise, peace for territory. All right, as long as you don't kill us, we'll give you some land. And that's the way it can be in our life. Right? We can let, allow compromise into our life rather than dealing with something maybe serious. Maybe something that you're doing online or something at work that your spouse doesn't know about. Something that you keep in the back of your fridge. But you know what? I, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. So let's not deal with it. That's not who Jonathan is. We're going we're gonna to see Jonathan, is a, a, his allegiance is to the Lord. His loyalty is to the Lord. Verse 3, it says, Jonathan, what he did, he, he attacked a garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And then, listen, some of the chinks in Saul's armor begin to come out. It says, you know, Jonathan attacks, and what happens? Saul blows the trumpet throughout all the land. And he says, let the Hebrews hear. Hear what? Verse 4. All, the, all Israel heard, it said that Saul attacked the garrison of the Philistines. What's Saul doing? He's taking the credit. He's tooting his own horn. He's saying, I'm the one that attacked. He's letting everyone believe that. This level of pride that's in him. Proving himself. And you can see... Why that happened, right? Because, number one, 
Samuel's saying, listen, it's sin that you guys asked for a king, but here's your king. It was wrong to do. So, so I think, in a way, Saul's trying to prove himself. Maybe you've done that before. You want to prove yourself to your friends or to someone that you're a, you know, a provider or you're cool or tough or this or that or you know, you're brave. Or, you know, and, and, this, and so this other side of you, maybe sinful, comes out. I want to be funny. I want to be liked. I want to be whatever it is. And that's what's going on in Saul's life. And so he blows the trumpet. And all Israel heard that Saul attacked and it really wasn't him. It's not him. In verse 4, it says, And Israel had become an abomination to the Philistines, and the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. That's important, because that's what Samuel told Saul to do when things got hard. When he didn't know what to do, he says, Go to Gilgal, wait there seven days, and I'll come, I'll meet you there, and I'll tell you what you should do. That's super important. That's, that's commendable for Saul. He's like, all right, things are heating up. Israel's an abomination. It's stirring up a hornet's nest. And we got to go to Gilgal. So he goes there. And verse 5 says, The Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which are on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth So now it's getting worse. Now they're, they're amassing their troops. There's really probably no game plan yet. They're just getting their troops together. And Saul knows that. Saul knows, all right, listen, they're, they're just gathering together. They're making a plan. So uh, being quick to respond is probably necessary in the natural mind. All right, guys, let's get together. They're amassing. Maybe we got to do a sneak attack, whatever, but what he really had to do was just obey. Wait for Samuel to come. But the troop, you know, things are heating up, and sometimes that happens in our life. Things get heated up, and you're worried. You're worried that, you know, whether it's the bills or your health or something's going on and, and man, I got to act. I got to do something. I got to, you know, fudge the number. I don't know. And the men of Israel saw that they were in danger. The people were distressed and the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits, right? That's his army. They begin to run. They're hiding. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan. They went back to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, commendable, he was still in Gilgal. And all the people followed him trembling. So the people that are left are trembling. And, and listen, the enemy's not going to give up when you're on your heels. When the battle's raging, the enemy's not like, all right, let's let up on him a little bit. He's afraid. You know, let's, let's go easy. No. He's going to come after you harder and more. He's not going to slow down. And, and things look even worse. And, and he, verse 8 says, And when he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, 
But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered. So now he's looking around like, well, now what do I do? I waited the seven days. Well, we're going to find out it's not the full seven days, not the whole time. And he sees, all he can see is this massive Philistine army and all his guys hiding in holes and rocks and running. What do I do? What do you do? Do you obey? Or do you strike? Sometimes that's the test. That's why the trying of our faith works patience. Are we going to wait? Sometimes that's all we have to do. Abraham, as God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham knew that this is the the chosen seed, the son whom this nation is going to come through. But he was called to sacrifice him, Genesis 22. He brings him up to the mountain with the wood and and everything he needed for the sacrifice. And, and, And Isaac's like, Dad, here's the wood, you know. What are we doing here? Where's the sacrifice? And it says literally that Abraham lifts his hand to slay his son, and then God comes through. Don't do it. Testing Abraham. Are you really willing? Is there something more important to you than me? Are you willing to obey me right to the, right to the very end? And he was. And he was. And sometimes God is working patience in our life if we'll wait. People are scattered, so here Saul has to react. He reacts. He says, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offerings. The only other one that did that, because it's not for a king to do. It's for a priest. Kings weren't supposed to do that. The only other one was Uzziah did that, and he had leprosy the rest of his life till he died. He wasn't supposed to do that. It wasn't a king's job. It was the priest's job. And he offered it. And verse 10 says, and it happened as soon as, it, as he finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Like, oh, hey, how's it going? He was caught in the act. And, and what Saul does here could have looked very differently for the next chapter and the rest of the book. If he would have changed his answer. Verse 11, Samuel says, what have you done? What are you doing? You know you're not supposed to do that. That's not what I told you to do. right? God is so faithful to ask us questions. Right in, in Genesis, as Adam and Eve, right, they eat the fruit. They cover themselves in fig leaves. And the Lord shows up and he calls out for Adam. Where are you? Where are you? Right? Do you think God's really looking? Where in the world did he go? That, that guy's sneaky. No, he knows right where he's at. He asks him a question because it's for Adam and Eve to answer, where, what happened to me? How did I get here? Why am I clothed in fig leaves? This stuff's itchy. What happened to my life? And sometimes God asks you that question and me that question. What have you done? Where are you? What's going on? Why are you there? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you clothed in fig leaves? 
Why, are you, why is there blood all over you, Saul? You're not supposed to sacrifice. It's not for you to do. And God is so faithful to allow us to get caught, isn't he? Right? You think you, we think we're getting away with something. So often we think, oh, I can do it. No one will know. It's not hurting anyone. It's not that big of a deal. Don't you see the pressure I'm under? That's what God asks, asks uh, Judas when he comes to betray him in the garden. Hey, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Bing, bing, bing. It makes us want to examine ourselves and maybe change. That's what those questions do. God constantly will ask, where are you, Adam and Eve? What are you doing, Saul? Are you going to really do that, Judas? So he asks a question. What have you done? And here's Saul's answer. Saul could have said, I was wrong. That's, that's some, easy to say, just a couple words, but hard to spit out of your mouth sometimes, isn't it? I was wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Right? Just a couple words, but aren't those words a lot harder to say sometimes than what Saul's going to say? Saul's got a whole, whole thing he says here. He says, when I saw the people were scattered from me. So it's their fault. <laughs> they should have stayed too. He's beginning to blame everyone but himself. The people were scattered from me. And now he's going to blame Samuel. He says, and that you did not come within the days appointed. It's their fault. And actually, no, it's your fault. And that the Philistines were gathered at Michmash. And it's their fault. The Philistines. And I didn't ask to be a king. God, it's your fault. Verse 12, he says, Then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Then he gets spiritual. I had to do this. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. He never owns it. It's only excuses, and we can be there, right? Just making excuses for, for what we've done what we're doing, or our lifestyle, or how we're living, how we're treating people. Just always excuses. Not owning it. You guys know the conditional clause, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, if I confess my sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's part of the purification process. He is faithful. He's the only one that is. He's faithful and just. He's the only one justified to do it. And he will forgive you and me, and he'll cleanse us. He removes that stain. He changes who we are. But the conditional clause is if. If we're willing to do it. A lot of times we're willing to do this, deflect it, blame other people for it. Could have, verse 13 could have looked differently. He says, And Samuel said to Saul, You've done foolishly. 
you've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. He wanted to establish it. But now your kingdom shall not continue. And the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. It's a heart issue. Because we know the next guy on the scene is David, and David's not a perfect guy. David does lots of things that are bad. Adultery, murder, probably looks maybe even worse than what Saul's doing. But Saul didn't have a heart after God. He didn't have a heart after God. He looked the part, but he wasn't the man. David, we'll see, has tons of flaws. The scripture exposes him more than Saul. But he has a heart after God. He has a heart to repent and to change to worship. Remember the, the widow casting her, her, her money into the, the, the treasury and all these men casting their money in and, and Jesus said, you know, she's casting more. Like everyone's casting in money. They're doing what they should do. But their heart behind it was to be seen. They ring a bell to be seen, to throw in you know, a lot of money. But this woman just cast in her little you know, half, a, half a penny. And Jesus said, she's, she's giving more than any of them. Right? She's doing it with the right heart. She's giving it out of her lack. And God is looking at our hearts. He's concerned with our hearts. It says, and Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people present with him, about 600 men. So his troops are dwindling. Saul, Jonathan, his son, and the people present with them, present with them remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines and three companies. One company turned onto the road of Oprah to the land of Shou. Another company turned to the road of Bethoran. And another company turned to the road of the border that overlooks the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. That's just bad, right? Just these three companies of people just surrounding Israel uh, and and. There's not many of them left. And, and this is interesting, and I want to just read a couple scriptures here to you. Uh, but it says, There was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelite, Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattocks, his axe, his sickle. And the charge for sharpening was a pim for the plowshares and the mattocks and the forks and the axes and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword or spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. 
And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Something interesting that the enemy did was take all their weapons. Took all their weapons. You could sharpen all your stuff for, for farming, for your livelihood. We'll sharpen all that. We'll charge you a, a pim, whatever that was. It might have been a nominal fee. It might have been a lot. We're going to charge you, and you can stay busy farming. Keep doing that, uh, but no weapons. You're not supposed to have any weapons. And they were content to do that, and I think that that's something the devil does with so many people, is he is so content to keep us busy doing other things. Working, which is good. Being faithful at work, earning money, being a provider for your home, all those things. But he is so content to keep us busy. Go ahead. We'll sharpen it. But no weapons. You guys can't have any weapons. Right? And we need them. The New Testament, because we're in a battle. The Philistines are there in the land of Israel. The same way, we're in a battle every single day. And the enemy's trying to take territory. Not at your house, or maybe he is. It could be your refrigerator, your TV, your phone. That is territory. But the battlefield, Paul says, told, tells the Corinthians, is your mind. That's where, that's where the devil wants your mind. Turn to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with me just for a minute. We'll just read a couple verses and close. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we're, we have this body that's subject to temperature, and which I don't like in New York. We walk in the flesh. We don't war according to the flesh. But listen, we're in a war. And then he says, The weapons of our warfare aren't carnal, carnal but they're mighty in God for the pull, pulling down of strongholds. That's a castle. That's a kingdom. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Right? The battlefield is our mind. What you're thinking. And the devil is right there to fill your mind with other things. To tell you to worry about other things to focus on other things. Stay busy with other things. He doesn't want you to worry about uh, the battle that you're in for people's souls, for your own soul, for your kids, for your family, your co-workers. And he's going to lie to you. We're in a battle. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and we'll close with this. The Lord's given us armor and some weapons.
And you guys know this. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, Paul says, as he closes this letter to this church that he loved, spent so much time with. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Verse 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And, and that's like a, an army with different positions. We're wrestling. He says, take the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day having done all to stand. Listen, the devil is after your mind. You wonder why you feel agitated, restless, depressed, discouraged. You, we go through so many things in our mind. The battlefield is there. You're anxious. You feel alone. You feel all these different things because the devil is coming after you and he's lying to you. How do you change that? Here's, here's our weapons. Here's what God's given us. But so often, the devil just says, but what about work? What about tomorrow? Are your clothes done? Who's on Facebook? Did they like what you wrote? Did, and the devil just wants you to be busy thinking about other things. Not ne even necessarily bad things. They can be. And man, I won't feel alone if I go on Facebook right now. If that person just liked my post. If they did this or did that, and we live our lives in this different world, or we're busy about our little kingdom, man, what am I going to do? I got to work. I got to plan for the day. And we're never taking any armor. We're not guarding our mind at all. The truth of the word of God, who you are as a Christian, what God's called you to as a Christian, what your life should look like. We're like, I'm saved, and that's, that's great. I'll just... Live my life. Do the same things. No, that's not what God's called you to. He says, take the whole armor that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, just to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's so important. To know the truth of the word of God, because the devil is a liar. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that's not yours, that's his. Jesus Christ has made you righteous. Having your shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When you leave in the morning, you put your shoes on, whatever they look like, sneakers, hey dudes. I just got a pair of those. You put those on, you're thinking, who can I witness to today? The preparation of the gospel of peace. Sometimes you've got to preach the gospel to yourself in the morning. Remember who you are. And then remember, I'm out here to be a witness to people. Who can I share? Talk about putting the enemy on the defense. Who am I going to witness today? Share the love of Christ. And above all, taking the shield of faith, which you shall be able to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. The shield of faith, holding on to the word of God. Because the devil's going to be winging lies at you. One after, and, and the one that hits is the one he's going to keep winging. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. That's an offensive weapon. The word of God. And praying always with all prayer. That's an offensive weapon. With prayer and supplication in the spirit. And then be watchful to this end. Pray and watch. Like sometimes we just pray and we forget what we're praying for. We forget who we're praying for. We forget we ask God to purify me, make me different, make me usable at work. And then the heat, fire comes. Things heat up in your life. And you're like, what's going on? And Lord, probably if you wrote it in your journal, you know, you'd remember you prayed for that. You wanted to make a difference. You wanted your life to count. You prayed for that. This is good. Count it all joy that you're going through this. This difficult thing. Count it joy. We're going to take communion. I think it's a good time to ask the Lord, Lord, what's in my life? What ground have I given over to the enemy? That I've just let him settle in the land. I'm willing to make concessions and compromise in my life and say, you know, it's just who I am. It's just who I am. Ask him what ground that, that you need to take back in your mind. See if he's asking you any questions where you're at. See if he's asking you a question. Why have you done that? Where are you? What's going on? It's a good time to just sit before the Lord and remember that little cracker and that little bit of juice. I think it's Welch's. Represents something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago for you and me. That all the things, all the questions are answered right there. That he forgives you and he forgives me. That we get a fresh start. Today, you can have a fresh start. His mercies are new every morning. He just cares for you and I. If we confess, Lord, help me. Help me. We need it every day. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to talk to him every day. Lord, help, because I can't do it. I don't want to make excuses. I don't want to blame this person or what my boss did or my spouse did or my coworker did or that driver in front of me did, right? Take some ownership. If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. He changes us, right? So Lord, we're, we're thankful, God, for your questions. We're thankful, Lord, for your, your word. There is a battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we certainly wrestle. There's a battlefield of our mind that the devil wants to, to, to take ground. And, to, to, and I pray today, Lord, for us as your church, your body, uh, that we would take some of that ground back, the territory in our life, Lord. And the questions you're asking us, Lord, sometimes the hard question. That we could answer it, Lord. That we would just ask you for forgiveness if, if that's what we need, Lord. I just pray as we sit before you right now, we'd just be sensitive to you, Jesus. Oh, we're thankful for your love and your forgiveness. Uh, 
And sometimes we can't even see what's going on. We, we didn't see it coming. Uh, maybe what we did in, in the moment or in a certain situation. But you saw it, Lord. I pray our response would be just asking for forgiveness and cleansing, Lord. We love you. Uh, we thank you for your love, that you loved us first, Jesus, in your name.